1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks for joining us for, uh, if you're listening in real time, the Tuesday edition of the show. And, you know, I don't say it often enough, but you can watch us on Facebook Live every time we're on the air. Just go to the GPB news page at Facebook and join the many people who are there Uh, And who are not only watching the show, but we're always fascinated by the fact there are so many of you who leave comments, who are commenting in real time about what we're doing right and what I'm doing wrong. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we would uh, love to have you join us on Facebook if you can get near a computer to do that. Uh, Just very quickly, um, we're so sad about the news about President Carter, who has once again taken a fall. He, Kevin Riley. It's, uh, editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, by Tuesday sidekick on the show. A part of it is, I think, he just doesn't want to slow down. He insists on jumping out of bed and rushing off to do something. And he's getting to the age where, you know, taking falls is going to happen.
2: Yeah, it's, ter- it's terrible news, but... Uh, the guy has always stayed active. I mean, and he's uh, been more active, you know, almost after office. He was in office, it seems like. So, uh, I, we hope he gets uh, better fast. Yeah. But I think we're all concerned. We send our best out to
1: him. Martha Zoller uh, joins us today. Uh, Martha ran for Congress. Uh, in 2012. That's correct. Uh, as a Republican candidate. Uh, she worked for Senator David Perdue uh, in his first, was it his first, second term? I mean, of course, his, his first, first campaign, term. He's and then, only had one right. term. <laughs> right. And most important, you are back. a job that you held for a long time before you really got into politics, you're hosting Morning Show at WDUN out of Gainesville. Thanks for being here and in the studio in person. In the studio today. That's right. Buddy Darden is uh, with us today, former Democratic congressman from what used to be the 7th district. Uh, now um, practicing law and still plugging away, Buddy Darden, after all these years. Well, it's great to be here with this dynamite panel today, so thanks for having me. Sure. Everybody is always glad when you're on this show, Buddy. Um, and we're really pleased. Uh, you know, we've been giving candidates for Senate, as they announce, uh, some time if they want to come in and visit with us to talk about their campaigns, talk about the issues they're focusing on. And um, Matthew Matt Lieberman is joining us now. Matt, uh, f- first of all, by way of introduction, you are the first Democrat to announce a candidacy for the seat that Johnny Isaacson vacates at the end of the year. And that, of course, will be up um, as a special election on uh, uh, the same day that we vote for president in November. And because people around the state don't know you really well quite yet, Give us, like, your 30-second thumbnail sketch of who you are, what you've been doing since you came to Georgia.
3: Sure. Thanks, Bill. Well, first, first, it's good to be here. It's good to see you. Good to be with this distinguished panel. Absolutely. Happy to be a part of it. Uh, so I've been here going on 15 years. Uh First part of my career was in education. I'm actually a lawyer by training, but for the most part, I've managed to avoid that. So, uh, first part (laughs) of my career was in education. You were at Yale? Yale College, Yale Law School. Couldn't get out of there. Go ahead. Uh, And uh, worked as a teacher and an administrator, and and that brought me to Georgia. And then around 12 years ago, I decided uh, to actually try to make money for the first time in my life. So up to that point, i had done a pretty good job of, of making as little money as I could uh, with my degrees. And so I've, I've had a group benefits business uh, working with larger groups that I've grown. I've really I've been a private citizen. Uh, I have been, um, you know, raising either solo or primarily my two daughters uh, who are now 22 and 20 and, and out in the world and uh, wonderful young women. And really, like most Georgians, minding my own business and, and hoping the government would mind its business in an effective way. And uh, I've just reached a point, again, like I think many Georgians, where I'm fed up. And so as I, I say, uh, you know, I'm running as a fed-up citizen of Georgia and for the fed-up citizens of Georgia because the government can do so much better than it's doing for us now. Um, we're, we're going to uh, get into more about the issues that
1: you're interested in. But, of course, first we should point out that you have an impressive political pedigree. Your father is Joseph Lieberman, longtime senator from Connecticut, vice presidential candidate uh, in uh, 2004 for thousand three. He made two, it. He yeah. made
3: it into two thousand four. Not deep into two thousand four. Yeah, right. <laughs> he right. made it into two thousand four. Yeah. Um,
1: so, uh, unfortunately, there is news to start with in our conversation, and I want everybody's going to get involved with this, uh, as you well know, because you've already responded to it. Roll call uh, published his story yesterday. Put it up on their website, which uh, tells us that your dad. Although in 2010, your dad was very, very critical as a member of the Senate of ZTE, which, like Huawei, is a, a, a digital company that is, a, you know, has a 5G system uh, that it's developing for international use. In, in 2010, your dad said it was, a, it was really uh, 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 troubling because there's concerns that they could use their systems to spy on Americans. We now learn that your dad has been uh, working. He says informally on their behalf. How how do you? It's a given that you're Sorry. still introducing yourself to the state. How do you deal with uh, something that comes along that uh, people feel might be a problem for you?
3: Yeah. Well, it was um, it was uh, an interesting uh, choice of articles for us uh, for uh, the journalists there. To want to write. As I've said, you know, in an odd way, I'm flattered. Uh, and you know, we are off to a strong start in this campaign. We've raised already $300,000 and, and, um, just a lot of our announcement video was really well-received. We did another spoof of the Brian Kemp ad that's been very well-received. It's very funny, Thank by the you, way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so we're off to a strong start, and in some ways the fact that you know this article, as far as I'm related to it, I mean, I understand people's concern, there are legitimate security concerns about ZTE, and people could be interested in what the work my dad's doing, which is really soliciting feedback from Senators as to what their specific concerns are. That's and then relating it back to ZTE, who will then either allay those concerns or not. Um, but but, it, but there are serious uh, security concerns. But you know my part of it is uh, I'm not I'm not sure where I come into the picture other than uh, people are already thinking about me being elected 13 months from now. Uh, and you know again we are off to a strong start and. Um, uh, on the list of issues that Georgians are thinking about, I think you'd have to get down to around 140 to get to, you know, Matt Lieberman, uh, China. I, I just I think folks are focused on uh, why can't we get common sense gun control passed? Well, I want to like Kevin yeah.
1: jump in here, but yeah. I do think it, it is. You're suggesting it would not be appropriate for a voter, for instance, to wonder whether you might, if you were elected to the United States Senate, give favorable treatment to ZTE with your father's involvement with the company. It it does remind some people of the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden story in reverse, in a way.
3: Perhaps, perhaps it reminds some people of that. I'm not sure if that's sort of an inside the beltway spin or if people are, are actually thinking about that. But what I would say uh, is, you know, there are Senate ethics rules that govern this. In fact, I think, I haven't studied this again, because I got a lot of work the next 13 months uh, before I'm actually elected, and of hey, this would even become an issue. But I think uh, the way the Senate rules are, that if I'm in the Senate, uh, My dad can't, not only can he lobby me or my office, he can't lobby anyone in the Senate. Uh, So, you know, I think it really is a Mm non-issue, but I I get that people care about the security aspect. And if I were in the Senate, I would be concerned about our national security. And, you know, uh, as I said, ZTE or any other company for that matter, Ford, Facebook, uh, Delta, name the company. If someone, if there are concerns about a company... And the Congress gives the company a chance to allay those concerns, then the company, of course, will try to do it, and either they'll succeed or they won't. Kevin, and, uh, that's, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, no, and that that's uh, that's fair. Kevin, you uh, want to jump in? Yeah, this is
2: kind of a natural natural follow-up, Matt. So, um, a two-part question. Uh, you, you've got the famous name, so part one of the question is like, how how are you going to handle that? Uh, because people have who know your dad have opinions, and then. Uh, you know we have a little history in this state of people with some famous names namely Carter and Nunn, and 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 not doing too well and uh, when they've tried to get elected statewide so I, two questions there I mean the name and does it help or hurt
3: sure well uh, I don't know whether it helps or hurts but it you know to me it's it's my name uh, so, <laughs> I'm, so I'm sticking with it and you know I, I know there are people who like my dad and I uh, uh, maybe those people will give me a little bit of an extra hearing. That would be great. And I know there are people who don't like him, um, but I think they'll give me a fair hearing as well. And I would just, you know, remind folks that technically speaking, you know, we are two separate people. Uh, You know, we we have uh, two different brains and we will likely have different views on issues. And um, And you mentioned the other candidates. Again, I can't speak to those campaigns or those candidates. All I can do is do the best job I can now. I will say, certainly, and I think any Democrat in Georgia and any Republican in Georgia would uh, concede this, the demographics of Georgia politics have changed. Uh, And so, uh, you know, I am happy to be running in some ways on the shoulders of Stacey Abrams, most meaningfully, uh, who really built the basis for democratic great possibilities in her, in her really the two years leading up to uh, her gubernatorial run with all the registration and activation of voters. It's totally winnable. We have a chance in Georgia to flip two Republican seats. We know that. The Republicans know that. It's going to be a fun election season.
1: You know, buddy. I was thinking there is something interesting. I mean, Matt Lieberman is. I think he's quite right. I mean, he's got to be able to be freed from the from his dad's uh, uh, large uh, uh, shadow hanging over the race, and I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way at all. What's interesting about it, though, is that Joe Lieberman kind of bridges two different segments of the Georgia voting population. I mean, he, he was certainly a strong Democrat and, and known for his uh, views as a Democrat until he basically became a, an independent uh, in the latter years of his tenure in the Senate. So there's an interesting way in which uh, this Lieberman uh, maybe has a chance to appeal to, to some independents as well as the Democrats in the state. Just throw
4: that out to you. Well, Joe Lieberman was always a moderate, yeah. and uh, he was well-liked on both sides. He could talk to people on both sides of the aisle, and I think the fact that he ended up as an independent is, is no big, big surprise, but when someone runs who has a famous last name, that gives you a little identity and a little consideration, but... As we well know, it certainly doesn't close the deal for you. And I think it's a great thing that Matt is running and has some name identity, but he knows as well as we do that won't care of the day. So, Martha, when we first put this panel together,
1: uh, I, I walked into the studio and I said, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. Martha Zoller was one of the first people... To submit an application with Brian Kemp's office for uh, to be the replacement for Johnny Isaacson starting at the first of the year. So, uh, in full transparency here, I'm suddenly thinking it is possible that you two could be running against each other <laughs> next well, November. <laughs>
0: I'm here as a journalist today, and, and first of all, I want to say that the roll call article. Is the perfect example of what's wrong with journalism right now, in that there is a narrative out there about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. So now let's see what stories we can write about family members in politics, whether they're legitimate or not. So, as you know, as a journalist, it's disappointing to me because I don't think that the the uh, connection should be made there. But I wanted to ask you a question about the the what's called a jungle primary. I mean, that mm-hmm. this is a different kind of race. This isn't necessarily. while you want to get your party out, Republicans will want to get their party out. But it's different because you've got to appeal to the entire electorate as opposed to just a primary electorate.
3: Well, that's true. That's true. And that's, you know, even if there were a a regular primary, as there will be in the other Senate race, ultimately the winner needs to appeal to the whole electorate. Um, I just circle back all that any of us running for office can be, and I think really... All we're going to be, if we're going to be successful, is ourselves. So the issues that I'm running on, whether it's gun control, whether it's choice, uh, whether it's health care, expanding access to health care, whether it's protecting the environment, these are my issues either way. And all you can do is be you and put it out there, and you trust the people
4: to make a judgment. And and that's, that's it. That's it. Well, now, Martha, as I understand it, under current law, even if it's a jungle primary, don't you have to have a party designation by your name? I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yes.
0: I, I don't think so. Oh, I think you know. only the incumbent no, will have an eye next to So just,
4: name. we we explained this several times on
1: the show and should do it again. We, there are not going to be, for the special election next November, Democratic and Republican primaries. Democrats and Republicans, whether whether um, associated with the party label on the ballot or not, will all you'll all run essentially on the same ballot, and presumably with a longer list of candidates. There will be a runoff but again, that runoff could have match a Democrat with a Republican, uh, which is, by the way, why I made the point about given Democrats your dad's arguments, given your dad's story uh, line, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having gone from being a Democrat to an independent, who knows, it could benefit you in the long run. Um, talk a little bit about uh, your, your, your pro-choice, and you've made that very clear. Uh, sometime in 2020, we could very well see uh, the Supreme Court even before the election, take up uh, George's uh, virtual banning of abortion. Um, Tell me how you feel about that law. I mean, clearly you're opposed to it, but there are people who nevertheless feel that George's policies on abortion do need to be a little tighter, that... um, that perhaps a restriction of some sort that's a bit more than the 20-week man would be appropriate, but but not, not essentially from the time you know you're pregnant?
3: Yeah, well, you know, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land, uh, and, and it says that as a part of our right to privacy, uh, women have control over uh, whether they choose to abort a pregnancy or not up to uh, the end of the second trimester. So, I mean, that, that's the law of the land. Any laws uh, that run askance of that are subject to review, and, and that's what's going on. Um, obviously, we have a Supreme Court that has been tilting rightward um, with uh, appointments that have gone on, and with the, uh, you know, to me, extremely disappointing, disillusioning, I would say, disgusting refusal of mitch mcconnell to bring merrick garland's uh, nomination to a vote um so it, it is of concern to be sure these kinds of laws and, and you know part of that concern and this gets to part of you know what i'm why i'm running is that i feel the republican party in georgia on a number of issues is just way out of sync with where most georgians are and you know you have I think around 70 percent of Georgians who feel Roe v. Wade should remain the law of the land. And yet this is at the state level. Granted, you know, you get legislation uh, calling for something very, very, very different from Roe v. Wade. And now yeah, the legislature can do that, but it's out of sync with where most people are. Kevin. Uh, Yeah. yeah, And just just the final little point also. And you see this some, you know, with positions that our people in Washington aren't willing to take on gun control. There are a number of issues where you have 60, 70 percent of Georgians feeling one way and our Republican representation in Washington going another way. That is, frankly, encouraging for a Democratic candidate and, I think, problematic for Republican Kevin, candidates. you want to jump in?
2: Well, yeah, I always like to do this with a candidate, a personal question. You mentioned you have two daughters. You and Bill were chatting before the show because I think two you're yeah, we of,
1: have daughters that went to, they school, went to school, together school together for a
2: while, yeah. So uh, how do they feel about you You putting yourself so far out there now as a Senate candidate, and will they play a role in the campaign?
3: Sure. Well, you know, uh, one of the pleasant surprises uh, for me as I was thinking about this is when I told them I was seriously considering this, they both immediately thought it was a great idea. Why is that a surprise? Because almost every idea I ever bring up to them, they think is a terrible I was going to say the same thing. I have two daughters, and they never think any of my ideas are I said, good. I said, and I actually I said, what? You, you do? I said, no, I haven't heard them say that probably since they were four. Uh, so they're very supportive. They're excited. They have their own lives. I mean, they'll try to be uh, supportive, you know, on the margins of their lives, but, uh, I, you know, not I'll welcome whatever uh, help. They can give, but you know they've got to live their lives first and foremost.
1: Martha, I want to go back to abortion for a minute and HB 481. What, what, how significant a role do you imagine HB 481, as it works its way through the courts in 2020, will play in races like the one that you could be involved with? That Matt Lieberman uh, is uh, going to be involved with. Is it going to? Are, are, how, is the, how is the voter? How is the voter of Georgia going to respond to 481?
0: I think it depends on what the courts do. I think that Judge Jones was judicious in, in his comments. I mean, I expected it. I'm a pro-life person. Uh, I believe life begins at conception. and and But I also live in a world where I see what's going on every day. And so I expected that to happen. And I thought I know Steve Jones very well. Um, he's a bulldog, just like I am. And... and um, uh, I think he did a good job in the decision that he made. But I think it will depend on what happens next, on which side will be motivated the most about it. It's going to because be an we issue, know, though. we know social issues motivate people yeah. to come out to vote for whatever reason okay in the, in the
1: same way buddy that that the debate over guns uh makes a difference lucy mcbath certainly emphasized her belief in gun safety during her campaign although i'd argue that it was really her position on health care and on uh and on uh, pre-existing conditions that may have been a bigger issue in her election but gun safety will definitely be an issue uh, during this race next year.
4: I'm inclined to agree with you that it wasn't solely about gun safety, and I'll also make the point that I found out during a number of my campaigns uh, where I was pro-choice, but I found out that that is not the number one issue for most people. Now, you've got some people who are totally single-issue people, and you're not going to change them. They've, they're have already there, If it whether it's gun safety or gun control or abortion, pro-choice or pro-life, those people are already counted. They're going to be there. But in many, many instances, people might be what you might call um, pro-life, but at the same time would let other issues trump that uh, particular issue. And I think that's the case here. I don't think it's everybody's chief issue.
1: Matt, we're going to run out of time in a minute, so let me hit you up on a couple of other issues. You're, you're saying you support uh, new gun control measures. What specifically would you like to see happen?
3: Uh, well, I'd like to see assault rifles banned. I'd like to see universal background checks. I'd like to see red flag laws, or sort of reasonably written red flag laws. Um, and you know, these are all, again, positions that most Georgians favor, and yet you're not going to get our Republican folks in Congress to favor any of them, and that and that's a problem. It's it's a problem for sort of uh, applied democracy here in Georgia, and I think it's a problem. Obviously, it's a problem the voters can fix with their votes uh, this year. You also are running
1: uh, on a uh, platform of uh, doing something about what—I what do don't know if you call it voter suppression, mm-hmm. but equal access to the ballot by all people. And I think there's some—I think, as we've talked about this issue for the last year-plus, there are, there are still conflicting feelings about voter suppression. There are some clear examples of, of uh, people being kicked off the rolls when they probably shouldn't have been, exact match— So the question is, how significant do you think the problem of voter suppression really
3: is in a state like Georgia? Well, I think it's significant if it's even suppressing 10 votes, Mm -hmm. let alone 50,000, perhaps. And for sure, there was a record turnout. But the fact that there was a record turnout doesn't mean that there can't also have been (laughs) record suppression. Do you You, you agree with Stacey Abrams that she had the election taken from her? Well... You know, I think you'd need perfect vision into everyone's mind to make uh, a statement conclusively like that. But there are ample, ample reasons for concern. I would say that if if you if the votes counted were based on what everyone intended to do when they woke up that morning, that she would have won. All right. I suspect we would, you know, uh, Martha, you want to respond to
1: that real quickly? No, I don't. (laughs) All right. Matt, I want to tell you, we've got to move on, but I really appreciate your being here today. It's going to be really interesting to watch how your campaign unfolds. You do have to uh, obviously reach out. You haven't been in elective politics here, which these days may be a benefit, but – Building your name recognition across the state is going to be a fascinating process to watch. So thank you for being on Political Rewind today. And uh, down the road, we'll uh, uh, talk about bringing you back in for another conversation.
3: Well, Bill, thank you. It's been great to be here. Thank you with this panel, and uh, I look forward to talking whenever you'd like. Have fun at the Democratic dinner tonight, Thank state you. party dinner. All, All right. right, that's Thank uh,
1: you. Matt Lieberman running for the uh, what we call Senate race number two, uh, <laughs> the uh, race to replace Johnny Isaacson. Um, this is Political Rewind. we got a lot more to talk about, and we'll do that after this break.
4: That car of yours you no longer need.
2: Give it a second life by donating it. It could be worth hundreds of dollars to support this station.
4: Pickup is free. Here's how to get started. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars. That's 877-GPB-1-CAR or gpb.org slash cars. And thanks.
2: Two men close to Rudy Giuliani were arrested by the FBI earlier this month. One says he was valuable to the president's personal lawyer because of his ties to Ukraine.
4: I just happen to be Ukrainian. I happen to speak the language. I happen to also have a lot of resources in in that part of the world.
2: I'm Ari Shapiro, untangling how Giuliani's associates tie into the impeachment inquiry this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR
1: News.
3: Four till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org.
1: Uh, yeah. We're coming uh, back on Political Rewind. Uh, just Matt Lieberman and his entourage. He's here with an entourage, uh, just leaving the studio now. Um, Kevin Riley, we're still waiting waiting and waiting all the news organizations in town are to f- figure out when the heck we're going to know where the november 20th democratic presidential debate is going to be
2: yeah and i can tell you i put some serious pressure on those guests you have on i think their names are galloway and Blustein, Yeah, to know. make sure that yeah. we're first when yeah. whenever that news comes
0: out yeah. And, yeah. S- and seriously november 20th you know I- i'm fine i'm glad it's coming to atlanta People are already shutting down for the holiday. Thanksgiving's early this year. I just I just don't know if it's going to make that much of an impact for the people that are making their minds up.
1: That's an interesting—when uh, th- is Thanksgiving Like this the
0: year? 28th, oh, so it's okay. a week before.
1: Well, all right. Buddy Darden, uh, Martha Zoller, before we went on the air, said it ought to be in Gwinnett County. Uh, venues are available, and uh, it's—she uh, she didn't say this, but it's also changing territory. It's moving more and more blue all the time
4: we'd love to have it in Cobb County because Cobb County is not changing as fast as Gwinnett even though we did make great strides this year and I think it might help to a certain degree but just to be candid with you there'll be all this big build up there'll be a whole lot of attention and then like a balloon once it's done the air is out of it and nobody remembers it so it's a great thing but it uh, the world will little remember what happened uh, one week after it's And over.
1: you don't think Georgians, it'll matter in
4: terms of Georgia voters? I think it'll be nice to have, and we're glad to have them there. But at the same time, uh, we had the Democratic convention here in 1988, and the caucus lost the state. Oh, that's right. Uh, he fairly, lost it. He? He, he
1: wasn't elected president,
4: was he? <laughs> <laughs> I remember well. And he didn't get Georgia. I uh, was there when, he, when Bill Clinton gave that awful long. Yeah. Keynote speech. Yeah,
1: I was, too. It was the it was the speech Me that too. almost destroyed his future in elective politics. He had to come on uh, one of the late night shows to uh, kind of revive his camp, his ability to run a presidential campaign. in Do you 92. remember his uh,
4: biggest applause line? he says in conclusion yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. well i mean i, I get right. i get that it will it will come
2: and go and the world will move on but i mean as you've talked about on the show i mean it shows how important georgia could be yep. and i and i do think that it'll be interesting to see what the democrats to whom they want to appeal you know i mean because it will but you'd agree and you'd agree i mean it will send some sort of message wherever they put it
1: so uh what we've also talked about in the show is although they're all heading here in later in november right now it's iowa martha that is in the in the spotlight i mean the, the candidates are all pushing very hard to uh make an impact on caucus Uh, goers in Iowa. And uh, let me just throw out to you first, Martha, and then to everybody else, interesting numbers that are coming out of that state right now. USA Today just moved a poll which shows Biden is at 18 percent. This is Iowa again. Warren at 17 percent. That's not surprising. The surprise is that Pete Buttigieg is suddenly making a move. He's at 13 percent and moving Upward, so that's interesting. But what's most interesting of all is that with just a few months to go, 29% of Iowa Democratic people caucus goers presumably have no idea who they are going to uh, 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 cast their uh, vote for, essentially in. The caucus—that's a lot of room for people to maneuver.
0: Oh, and I think because there's so many candidates, and I went and looked back at the numbers for the Republicans last time, and it was similar. Mm. In that, you know, when you've got so many people to pick from, it's almost harder to make your mind up because you—because if you, once you commit, right, you then you can't move around. So I think that uh, I was surprised to see Buttigieg move up the way he did, but you know, if you watch him in the debates, he's definitely somebody that the the debates help he
1: had a very because, strong debate in ohio
0: that's right he 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 is he sounds logical and reasonable and the medicare for all who want it i mean i remembered that line from the debate he helps himself in the debates
2: well i couldn't resist so usa today asked 500 likely democratic caucus goers and so to have 13% means 65. So I think if me and Buddy go out to the mall this afternoon, he could get 65 people to say they like me.
4: I believe they could. And I'll carry it one step further. I have been to Iowa, and I have campaigned in Iowa. Me too. And I've never done a more useless act in all my life because how do you know who's coming? Uh, depends on how they feel that day. Uh, they might uh, have... A big candidate they got to have, and then all of a sudden they might lose enthusiasm or find something else they'd rather do. So well, wait this wait, is, this wait is like wait, grabbing wait, air. I, I got
1: to take issue with like grabbing air. Yeah, but but that's why, buddy. Is it not? Another v- advantage that Buttigieg is building there. He's got a very sophisticated ground game. He's got a lot of people in Iowa working on his behalf, the kind of volunteers who will get people to turn out for the caucuses on the night that they are being held. Elizabeth Warren has a strong uh, organization there as well.
4: Yes? And of course he's from nearby Indiana too, so there's there's some regionalism that might might make a difference here, but I just think this thing has not set. And uh, I would be surprised one year from now, we'll be sitting here wondering what happened. I just think I just don't think this thing has yet yet taken form. Well, I that, think uh, that, that, that was
2: undecided must have a strong ground game too to get
1: twenty-five. Well, that's 29%. my point. When you have almost a third of the Iowa potential caucus goers uh, saying they don't know who they're going to go for, that means by November twentieth, when they come to Georgia to vote, we're still going to be really uncertain. But- Who's going to take that first caucus? Look, statewide
0: right? polling is supremely inaccurate in general. This kind of polling is really hard to do too, yeah. and and there is a if I if I remember one, I remember eight different Iowa caucuses where you were surprised by who ultimately won the Iowa caucus. Remember when Mike Huckabee won, nobody thought he was going to win that one. I think that it does depend on who shows up. Uh, it is not your typical kind of uh, situation. Some people say caucuses are better because you get the people who really care about stuff that come and they vote. So it'll all depend. The year I was campaigning in Iowa, there was so much snow that there was nothing else to do but go to the caucus. <laughs> so well, was... but, but
2: Bill, I do think, you know, and the different analyses of these polls points out It's really a question of whether Buttigieg is going to capture that moderate place among the the top candidates, right? Because Biden has, it's hard to say that Biden has been impressive, even though he's been leading. We've just seen that lead erode by almost any measure. And he is the person who's sort of in that slot. Buttigieg
1: is next in terms of the moderate Democrat. All right. So the the Democrats debate here on November November twentieth, and we learned yesterday, uh, thanks to your Greg Bluestein, uh, Mr. Riley, that President Trump uh, is going to be coming to Atlanta a couple weeks before. Then he'll be here on November eighth. And Buddy, one of the other notes that we saw from the AJC this morning, and I assume it was Bluestein, is that not only will he be here for a fundraiser. But the, the AJC is reporting it appears that the, the campaign may be looking to build an event for African-American Republicans.
4: Uh, that's fascinating. That is fascinating. It should be interesting. I guess four <laughs> or five of them are, uh, will, will show up. But uh, I'll be interested to see who does show. But if he does, if he does uh, fill up the hall, I'd say more power to him. I guess our friend Leo Smith. Might be be in charge of organizing. Well, I no. Remember, no.
1: Leo turned. Leo is now anti-Trump. He made a very public pronouncement a while back that he no longer on supported our, uh, on the pages of the AJC. Yeah, yeah. And he'll be in here, by the way, tomorrow to talk about that.
0: Well, and Bluestein did say it's obviously he's coming for a fundraiser. 75% sure about an event. And there is a very strong group of African American Republicans in Atlanta that might be able to put something together.
2: Do you? I mean, this is a very very uh, volatile word to use, but I think most of us heard about what the pr- president tweeted I, That this was morning. the next
1: thing I was going to talk I about. I mean...
2: I wonder what the reaction will be to him using that word, uh, describing himself as a lynching victim. So it
4: certainly won't help. In fact, I, I think a lot of people will take grave offense of it. The key to it will—will will these Republicans who already support him take offense to it? I don't know, but uh, it seems like that uh, most of his errors in this area are what we are what we call uh, self-inflicted. or are uh, faults that, that uh, he calls about himself. For you know. those of you who
1: have not kept up with the latest news coming out of President Trump's Twitter account, uh, he uh, basically described the impeachment process today as a lynching. And he did provoke uh, outrage, uh, certainly among Democrats and and some Republicans as well. Martha, you have always been a pretty independent voice. You have not been a Trump apologist when you've been on this show. Uh, Are there some things that you just go beyond— all bounds of decency in something like this?
0: Look, I think the last week for the president has been difficult. Um, I think that starting with the decision about Syria, um, and uh, it could have been a very good week for him, because of some of the other things, the good things that happen, I think many times uh, the last line of his tweet overruns some of the good things. I wouldn't have used the term lynching, although I do think that the process is very unfair. It doesn't match up to any other impeachment processes we've had in the past. It seems to be this secret, you know, this secret garden in a way where where there's not both sides being presented. There's not due process. There's not transparency. Okay, and, and it is unfair. I would not have used the term lynching. I don't think that that was a smart thing to do. But... Um I don't think anybody that's not already mad at President Trump will be mad at him about that.
4: Um, well, that remains to be seen, but I do, I do want to point out one thing that all of the problems that President Trump has incurred in the last week have been what we, who play tennis, call unforced errors. I mean, these are things that he has done. These aren't things, he has oh, not been a victim like he uh, seems to, seems to uh, say that he has. Which reminds me, Bill, I'm going to change subject very briefly and apologize to you because. <laughs> Uh, when I was on this show before, I said that Doug Collins uh, would not be a factor, his his uh, defense of the president, and that he would have a chance at being appointed to the Senate. I think you have turned out to be right, and I was wrong, in that there's no way that the, uh, pre- that the president can allow Doug Collins to be appointed to the Senate now, because now that this impeachment has gone so far, he's got to have him. He's yeah. got to have him there, so— you're right, I'm wrong. (laughs) You better get used to saying that, buddy. I I
1: do want to circle back on one of your uh, comments, Martha. Um, It is certainly true that the way in which uh, this impeachment process differs from uh, past impeachments, the only other being a couple of them we had, Nixon and Clinton, that that move forward in any way, in that there has not been a vote of the whole House authorizing the impeachment inquiry, and Republicans have made that point over and over. But The fact that these first hearings are being held behind closed doors uh, is not, in fact, at variance with the Nixon impeachment process, which started as an investigation behind closed doors after the uh, committee, the task force essentially that did that behind closed doors. They then had open hearings. So I just want
4: to be I careful. Think both parties,
0: though, I think both parties were involved in those behind closed doors uh, committee hearings, and both sides were heard.
4: Both so, parties I, are involved now Yeah, in, I mean, the, in these hearings. Okay, I don't but, know, but where you know what? you're getting information, Wait, both parties are involved.
1: But Martha makes a point that's worth thinking about, Kevin, uh, in the f- sense that we it's one thing to say for for Adam Schiff to say, look, right now these hearings are sensitive we don't want witnesses to hear other witnesses and change their testimony i get all that but it is also true that that nancy pelosi has not done a very good job helping the american people understand what's going on in those closed door rooms what are Republican members of the House, of the Intelligence Committee, getting a chance to say when they talk to witnesses who come in? Are both parties really being represented? We believe that that's the case. But they, the Democrats have not made that clear, even if they do have to be careful right now about talking about the testimony.
2: Right. I mean, I, it doesn't really matter whether you think the Democrats are doing it right or wrong or the Republicans are getting their chance or not. In the end... The public sentiment about impeachment will be so key, and I actually, you know, last week when that number moved to 52 percent in favor, you just saw a lot of things happen. And I think it really comes down to, I mean, if the public doesn't believe in the process for one reason or another, it will, it will
1: really be divisive. Well, which is really the point that Martha's right, making right. here, and 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 I think that's an important part of this. So we're going to watch how this plays out. Uh, Tom Faust has uh, gathered some of the uh, headlines of impeachment. Uh, today. Bill Taylor, who is a senior U.S. diplomat in Ukraine and was part of that uh, chain of text messages in which he uh, said at one point, uh, this is crazy that you're going to hold back money in exchange for uh, political dirt. He's testified this morning. We're getting very little specifics about what his testimony was, but certainly Democrats have been emerging from the hearings saying this is the most explosive testimony yet in terms of apparently of implicating uh, President Trump and all this. We'll, we'll see whether that's uh, the case. Um, and uh, we now have... Uh, the Lindsay, we now have the the lynching uh, story getting a lot of attention. We've got some Republicans, uh, including Susan Collins, who were criticizing the President for that. We've got Lindsey Graham agreeing with the President, saying, quote, "This is a lynching in every sense. It's un American." Uh, And this now suddenly becomes an issue that Republicans are going to have to weigh as they think about their attitude toward the president of the United States. I mean, Martha, we could not be living in a more intense period of politics than this one. And Buddy Darden makes a point. A lot of what happens here is the president with self-inflicted wounds.
0: It is. And then and then you layer on top of that. Um, the the fundraising numbers that came out and the fact there are 330,000 new donors yeah. Yeah. that have never given to political campaigns before that are getting involved in this process. So, you know, it it is a topsy-turvy world. I will give you that, okay? But I just think that we are more interested in the president's Twitter feed and people like us than the average person. Those 330,000 donors probably aren't on Twitter, okay, yeah. <laughs> and they don't really Buddy know. Darden's nodding vigorously.
4: <laughs> I agree. Something I agree. we can agree
0: on, Buddy. <laughs> well, I
4: think, I think we can agree on that. I even got a—I was going to show you all this while ago. I even got a solicitation from Doug Collins <laughs> saying that enough <laughs> is enough, and it's time that we all uh, send him money. Um, Everybody out his, his work, both party, everybody on either side
1: of the aisle raising money off of what's happening in Washington right now. Let's do this. Let's get another break out of the way. And we'll be back with more on Political Rewind.
4: I'm Sarah Amon. I own Out of the Blue in Blue Ridge, Georgia. We specialize in wines from around the world and high-end cheeses, and we also have craft beer. I think a lot of people that listen to GPB, it's just part of their day-to-day routine. I have people coming up from Atlanta just to see what Out of the Blue is all about, because they hear our ads all the time, and they say so.
0: To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. On the next Fresh Air, we'll talk about the U.S. troops' pullout from the part of Syria that had been controlled by the Kurds with The Washington Post's Beirut bureau chief Liz Sly. She's been covering the Syrian civil war since it started in 2011. She's in the U.S. to receive an award for courage in journalism from the International Women's Media Foundation. Join us.
3: Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Welcome back to uh,
1: Political Rewind. Hey, Martha. Let me let me turn to a story that uh, may be getting more and more intense rather than calming down, and that's the whole concern number one about sterogenics up there in uh, in Smyrna, and a different sterilization plant, uh, BD Beckton Dixon out in Covington. And the reason I wanted to talk about it briefly is that when we first started getting word that sterogenics appeared to be emitting more of the toxic chemical that uh, ethylene oxide that's used as a byproduct in the sterilization of medical instruments, um, it appeared that the governor's office was a little slow and EPD were slow to react. It took them a while to catch up. They've been criticized for it. Actually... um, Cobb County has been a little bit more aggressive in saying to Sterigenics and that particular plant, you're not going to operate again until you've conformed to our uh, regulations. What's interesting is that over in Covington, the governor's office seems to have learned a lesson. They've now gone to court after seeing levels of ethylene oxide coming out of that plant to say this operation needs to be shut down until they make uh, safety Uh, uh, changes that need to be put in place. It's a learning process for the guys. They seem to have learned a lesson here.
0: I think so. I think so. And I think that there was some information that was given that was, you know, I mean, these companies were trying to avoid what has just happened and, and that in the processes they used, And I'm not just talking about the transition, but even before the transition, it looks like they weren't completely honest about uh, what they were doing and how they were doing it. Okay, Um, but because most of the people that are judging this stuff are not scientists, do not, you know, they have to trust in some way. So yeah, I think they've come up to speed. They took very decisive action yesterday, I believe it was, on, on doing that. Yep. They're getting fought about it. And you know what? That's that's You you don't just keep doing the same thing when you realize you need to do something else. And that's what they're doing now.
1: Yeah, yeah they've gone to they court. They gave
0: them a chance to do the right thing. And now they're acting.
2: But But just to be fair, the company said it reported the release of the gas even though it wasn't required because the amount of the gas released at that Covington plant each day of the leak was below regulatory thresholds. I mean, they believe they are saying they believe they followed
1: the yeah, law. Yeah, and they've done a pretty good job getting that word out to all of us in the media. They've been sending out news releases left and right. But clearly, EPD and the governor are saying we want to be completely. We certain. want to be
0: sure. Well, and-
2: more important, the the trust that the citizens have. I mean, that's the issue, right, Bill? I mean, if people
4: believe the government's not doing its job, then they're going to object. Well, um, bottom line, I believe both of. Both the EPA and the EPD were asleep at the switch here, and uh, instead of the EPA uh, notifying everyone like they should have, they sent it to the states, and some states reacted differently. But I'm, I'm so pleased that the citizen involvement has come uh-huh. out here and all of a sudden blown this thing up because um, I think I think it's a it's a great day for the for the citizens, especially citizens of Cobb County, that they. Uh, Identified this and brought the government along. The government, as you know, has been dragged along. Bill, this is not an initiative on behalf of the government. The government has been pulled into this. So I think it's a great, it's sure. a great thing for the for uh, for the citizen involvement. It here.
1: might be, but one of the things that made a difference between what's happening with Sterigenics in Smyrna and uh, BD out in uh, Covington is that. In Covington, BD has been a, had a huge footprint as an employer. And so there was a little bit more reluctance out there to try to take action that might cost people, if not losing their jobs entirely, losing paychecks as a plant was shut down. It, you know, that's an important part of this whole thing,
4: too. That's a good point because I'll be very candid with you. I don't know everything that goes on in Cobb County, but I'd never heard of stereogenics until this came up. And so it it wasn't exactly by any means a big player out in Cobb. But where it was located in the Vinings, Buckhead area, all of a sudden that uh, a lot of influential (laughs) voters there and people who can make a lot of noise.
1: And that's exactly what happened. All right. Before we go, I mentioned a little while ago that Bill Taylor just was testifying, senior diplomat in Ukraine. Uh was testifying behind closed doors and that apparently his testimony was explosive. The New York Times has just moved the story, and I think we should share just the lead of it with you. William B. Taylor Jr., the United States top diplomat in Ukraine, told impeachment investigators privately on Tuesday that President Trump held up security aid for the country and refused a White House meeting with Ukraine's leader until he agreed to investigate Mr. Trump's political rivals— And the New York Times reporter says uh, that he was told the testimony drew what one lawmaker described as a direct line between American foreign policy goals and the president's own political goals. Um, Martha, is there going to start being a crack in the uh, Republican uh, uh, line holding for President Trump?
0: You know, I just don't know. I mean, you you just read that to me and and what I heard was in secret or in silence and then it was reported out. We'll see what the transcript says. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I think that definitely they want the drip, drip, drip. Uh, The president is going to continue to get out there and and see, you know, and fight it. And we'll just have to see what happens.
4: Well, I just wanted to get that in. Buddy, you want to make a quick remark? I think the sad part is the Trump administration didn't know any better. And as evidenced by Mulvaney's attitude, he says, so what? This is the way business is done. And that's the sad part when you ignore professionals and diplomacy and military and whatever, is you commit these unforced errors. And we've got a lot of dedicated military, dedicated diplomats, people who could really steer the president away from this kind of of kind of situations. And regrettably, we have seen fit to bypass the machinery that's already out there. So it's sad that, uh, that they have seemed to ignore the processes already in place. Martha, I do want to uh, ask you, it, you uh, work
1: for David Perdue, and, and I, I know you think highly of, of, of the work he's done as a member of the Senate, and uh, He's been, like a lot of them, remarkably quiet. For someone who has been such a strong, staunch supporter of the president, it appears that right now the safest course is to really not be too outspoken. Well,
0: I think, you know, as far as following the processes and this whole thing's going to play out, but but one of the things that appealed, that President Trump appealed to the voters on was that he wasn't going to do it the way other people did it. Now... Right or wrong, history's yep. going to judge him for that. OK, but there are also a lot of things as far as getting regulations, streamlining things, that kind of thing, that he hasn't done it in the traditional way either. I do think, though, when it comes to national security, that kind of thing. My my big complaint with President Trump over Syria was not that he what he did. It was the fact he did it without without talking to national security folks first.
1: Kevin, all that said, we are in for an, an extraordinary period of time ahead, and we're going to have it all here on Political Rewind. Yes, aren't you we will? glad that we are here to do this show?
2: I'm telling you, Bill, I think it's going to be more and more
1: important to just be able to have
2: discussions about this
1: that are that are informative and uh, not purely partisan. Kevin Riley, Martha Zoller, Buddy Darden, thank you so much for being here for Political Rewind today. We were also glad that Matt Lieberman stopped by and spent a little time with us. I'm Bill Nygut. We're back tomorrow. Among other things, we'll talk about what the heck happened at that state Democratic Party dinner taking place tonight. See you then you <laughs>